I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. All right, James, it is a weird uh, break in the schedule for the Leafs, sort of, when we're recording this. Uh, not often you get like four consecutive days where a team doesn't play, but that's the schedule. How are you doing? I'm good. I mean, the, the Leafs schedule has been weird. You know, you get the Sweden break thrown in there. It feels like by the time we get to the game on Thursday, they, they how many games have they played? Like, they, It feels like they, they played like five games in three weeks or something ridiculous. Yeah, but they also came back from Sweden and then had a road back-to-back in Chicago and Pittsburgh. Right. So the schedule, it's not like it's been amazing right. for them. Uh, but anyway, so I think we should start, um, talk a little bit about that that game they played against Boston over the weekend. Um, there's some trends going on that I want to get your thoughts on. I came up with a game. I know you always like that. Uh, we should talk about some of the trade stuff that's been out there and reported. Uh, yeah, let's start with the Boston game. Uh, obviously, the Leafs lose in overtime, so no regulation win, which everybody is wanting and talking about. And this is relevant. I'm sorry we can't just like wipe it away. Uh, but they played a, about as well as you could expect, given the injuries, given what's been going on. Uh, what were your takeaways so, from that game? Yeah, let, let me inter- interrupt. Or I guess I'm not interrupting if you're throwing to me. Um, yeah. Do you think that I know they lost in yep. overtime and we can talk about the overtime if we want um if you want was that their best game of the season i mean it was probably pretty close yeah i think it's in the conversation i think the vancouver game is is up there i think the game they played in dallas although that was mostly the first half of that game it's in the conversation for sure because i thought they were great i thought they were you know like the bruins have been scuffling a little bit like they've they've lost some games and they haven't been as unbeatable um, but I, there's not, I, to me, there's not a lot to pick up other than the, I didn't like the way that the Leafs played overtime, but you know, if you, okay. So if you look statistically, it says the Leafs best game was against the Blackhawks. Um, yeah, well, that's not true. <laughs> well, I just mean in terms of like controlling play and et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, the there was a Calgary game that, that hall of fame game. They played pretty well. Continue. That's up there too. Yep. Um, the it also has the game against Detroit in Sweden is also high on the list here. Yeah, that was so. 
a great game. I need either. Anyway, what do you, what do you think, think about it? Like what, what did, what stood out that made you think it was one of their better games? I mean, they, they really didn't give up a ton. The first line was fantastic. Uh, Matthews, Nylander, nice yep. was great. Um, the other thing too, I was watching really closely just because of the injuries and the personnel they were using was the blue line that they had out there. And I thought that it was one of the better games for McCabe. I thought, um, I think McCabe's better when you don't notice him and he played yes. a lot. Like what did he, what did he play? 23 minutes or something like that. Yeah. And he was first um, on the team in five on five minutes by a wow. couple seconds. Yeah. He felt like he was out there all the time, but, but he, not in a bad way. Um, he's a guy that kind of makes you nervous this season when he's got the puck, like, is he going to make the right play? And, um, but the, but the other, you know, n- not just McCabe, I thought Lagason was good. I thought Benoit, Benoit is really growing on me as just like a guy that you can depend on. And, you know, this is going to tie into what we're going to talk about later, but I feel like the Leafs are they're pretty solid at for like third pair depth defensemen. Like they've got, you know, if Lagason and Benoit can play, I don't know. I don't know about Timmons. I mean, I think Timmons is another guy that scares you, but between when, when, uh, Lilgren gets back, but between Lagason, Benoit, Giordano, they've, they've got lots of third pair guys that are fine. So, you know, when we get into the trade discussion, that's one of my takeaways from that game was they looked more like, remember last season when they were really rolling, even when the defense had lots of injuries, they kind of, they played like that against Boston. Okay. Well, that's a good introduction for the game that I've created today called, is this real? And we'll start there. <laughs> is this real with what you've seen from the likes of, let's say Benoit and, and to a lesser degree, Lagasin and, and to an even lesser degree, Timmons. Do you think that is real? Or is it just like really small sample, not a ton of minutes, that kind of thing? Well, I mean, you probably don't need them to play a ton of minutes, right? Like, you know, like that's what they are. Like, you know, um, is it real? You know, I'm, I'll say this, Jonas. I'm surprised that those guys have played as well as they have. And you know, if we're going to kill tree living for the off-season acquisitions, the more high-profile ones not working out, Reeves, Klingberg, etc., mm-hmm. we should give some kudos for these bargain bin buys that they made and those guys playing really well. You know, like if you look at, they've been good. Like I, I, I honestly, I can't pick apart anything really from from those guys. You know, like they're making league minimum. Uh, have they they both been through waivers, right? Like they both been Benoit's been fired up and down. Um, you know, you clear way to clear waivers and come in and play the amount of minutes that they did, that they have so far, and to play as well as they have, is pretty impressive. It, like it's 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 hard to do, and it's hard to find depth defensemen that can do that. You know, so. I don't know. Is it real? I'm going to say it's real, Jonas, but I don't. I don't know. Like, so Benoit's played nine games. Uh, Lagasin's played fourteen. Uh, in the nine games Benoit's played, he's at sixty three percent for uh, you know scoring chance share, expected goals, 
Legison's down more like 47%, but Legison's played a bit tougher minutes, like higher in the lineup. So, and in terms of offensive zone starts, Benoit's at like 14%. Like he's playing every shift in the D zone and he's just, he's been fine. And the funny thing with him is that, you know, he played for that God awful Anaheim team last year and he played a lot with Klingberg and his numbers were brutal and he didn't look very good in preseason. Was it, didn't he play the first game of the regular season? Is that right? And he like took those penalties and, and it was like, who is this guy? If I'm remembering correctly. Um, yeah, so I'm surprised, but I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's real and that these guys can be your five, six, seven, eight guys the rest of the way. So I'm not there yet. I, I think I think you made very fair points. I think it's, I'm going to say it's quasi-real. I think it's real in the sense that like... I didn't know that was an option. I thought it had to be real or not real. I didn't know there was a made-up middle ground. Yeah, well, when you create the game, you can do whatever you want. Uh I guess the only thing is one, um, and to your point, like the the underlying numbers are very strong. Like defensively, they're basically like the best on the team. Now he is playing third and fourth lines. He's not really playing against anyone difficult by design. He's not playing a lot of minutes. Um, but yeah, like you can't really fault him defensively for what's going on. Like the puck movement, the mobility kind you of mean, stuff. Has, you mean Benoit, right? Benoit, yeah. Like you can't really fault him. Like as you pointed out, Lagason's played a little bit higher in the lineup. But yeah, like that's really all you can expect from like seven, eight, nine kind of guys on your depth chart to come in and, and just be okay. Uh, do I think that they could do this for a full season? And less sure. Do I think that they could do it in the playoffs? No. Um, but in the meantime, when there's injuries, that's really all you can ask. Like if they were to put Benoit up into their top four, I don't think it would go like this, obviously. Like that's not what he is. Um, but yeah, uh, so I think quasi real is is my ruling on that. Um, yeah. yeah. So if you look at yeah chances against Benoit leads the team. Yeah, it's like nothing. Uh, next is Bertuzzi, Lilgren, uh, and then Legison for for chances against. Now when Legison's out there, they're not really generating anything for. Um, but again, you know, like like I said, I said this with McCabe off the top. The thing with Legison is like he's he's just got a quiet game, you know, and and he's he's tough and physical in front of the net, and doesn't make a lot of plays where you're like, what is that guy doing? All right, a more important uh, takeaway and question from that that Boston game is this real? Austin Matthews looking like an MVP candidate again. Well, I don't know why he disappeared there for a while and wasn't the MVP looking candidate. So I don't, I don't know what's going on. I mean, do you, I don't know if you have a theory for the the struggles that he had there. Like, was it was it like a him and Marner thing? They were just both in a funk. Um, but certainly that that line was great, you know. And it'll be interesting. Like Jonas, do you think? Do you think um, we could see that line staying together now and that being like? Oh yeah, a fixture for a little while. Yeah, yeah, if you go back to last season, James, they changed it in like mid-November. They flipped Neilander onto the line instead of Marner, and that stood basically until like the middle of January, early January. So I, I think that mm. it'll stick, especially if it looks like that. Like the first couple games together, it didn't. Not only did yeah. it not look good, it looked bad. Like to the point where you're like, yeah. is he gonna have to like flip this back because it's so bad? Um, 
but to my theory like uh, what you're pointing out is to like why it didn't look good before it almost felt like it just snowballed a little bit like it did not look good for that line really at all this season and it just felt like it just kind of yeah snowballed where marner's not feeling it he doesn't look quite right for whatever reason and then maybe Matthews is is trying to compensate for that. And then they've got this rookie left winger. Well, I mean, they've had different left wingers, but nobody really fit with them. No one had chemistry with them. You had Yarncroft there. You had Bertuzzi there. Nothing really kind of took. And it looked to me like confidence was becoming an issue for Matthews, which is remarkable. Like, But it just reminds you that everyone can struggle with confidence, no matter if they're even second in the league in goals when they're not playing that well. Um and so I thought it was interesting, like uh, on Sunday after the practice, Sheldon Keefe basically said that he was imploring Matthews to shoot more. And I think if you look at, you know, some of the shot numbers, he just hasn't been shooting it as much. And you look at mm-hmm. a lot of situations in games where it's like, why is he passing? Like why? Or, so or overthinking it, maybe? overthinking it. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it, actually, James. And and so you wonder if that game kind of gets him back cooking to what he was. Uh, a couple years ago, because like, it's, it's interesting. Like you can look back to last year and compare this season to last year, but he wasn't amazing last year. It's two years ago where he was like the best player in the league, if not, or the second best player in the league. You know what I mean? Like if they can get that guy back, that's a huge deal for them because it's not just the goals. It's like the, the level of dominance at both ends of the ice. Right. Yeah. And that's what was there against Boston is that yeah. that line was just really taking over. Um, especially in regulation. I don't know if, <laughs> do we want to talk about the overtime? Not really. You know, do you? I mean, they were, what were they out? I think they allowed like 10 shots on goal in the five minutes. Like the, they're not, the Leafs are not good at overtime. They're not good at three on three. Like, and that's not just this year. It's just like in general, they just have not been very good. They just, they don't, it looks like they don't have the same kind of plan that other teams do for some reason. Don't they have a decent record in overtime this year though? Games yeah, but like, number 10. let's see. Look, look at like in past just, years, just, they're three and three. They've, oh my God, it's so crazy. They played 11 games and shoot out or overtime. Yeah. But, but look at, um, can you pull up what, what like the scoring chances and stuff are in overtime? Like they're, they're, sure. I mean, the only reason that they're three and three is that their goalies have been, have been, have played well. Yeah. How's this for a stat? Joseph Wall has stopped 22 of 23 shots in three on three. Isn't that insane? Yeah, he's been unbelievable. Okay, like he was the only discuss. player that was was good in that overtime. Uh, to your point, they have been outshot thirty four to twenty five in overtime. Uh, shot attempts fifty to thirty nine. Uh, expected goals like forty percent. Scoring chances. Yeah, they, yeah they're they've bad. been played. Yeah, they're bad. They're they and they shouldn't be. I mean, they're a skilled team, so I don't know. Like if that's something that Keith needs to practice or. They it feels just, like it gets overthought a lot, to be honest. Like starting for them. David Camp, yeah, like starting David yeah. Camp in overtime is just like, why? What's the Get, point of that? Galaxy brain. Yeah. Anyway, like so, a lot of, so like, go ahead. When we're talking about the Boston game, we're talking about like right in regulation because in overtime they they screwed it up. You know, like Nylander turns the puck over with yes seven seconds left and. You know, people are ripping on Tavares for not getting back, even though he had like he had no chance to get back. And um, I and I felt bad for Wool because he played so well, and even on the winning goal, he's like, you know, he's making like every effort to give them a chance, and his team was just 
I mean, they were just playing playing dumb, really. Well, so as for is this real with Matthews, I think it I think it's too early to say. I mean, he's he's going to be a uh, at worst like I mean, he was on pace for 60 goals when he was not or he is on pace for 60 goals and he's not had an amazing season. Um and this is kind of the way that that MVP season started, like statistically it's almost exactly the same, but it wasn't he was a more dominant player even when he wasn't playing particularly well during the start of that season. And this just hasn't been that. So I think it's too early to say would be my ruling. What about you? So you're just saying quasi. Yeah. Quasi real to everything. For, yeah. For, yeah. For every single question. Yes. So you created the game. And <laughs> By the way, even, you're, you're not even playing the game. Can I just uh, review with you just because I was curious. So they're three on three minutes this season. Riley first 2010. Matthews 2004. Neilander eighteen twenty eight, Marner fourteen, Marner fourteen thirty three, and then drop off. McCabe seven forty, Tavares seven thirty four, Brody seven nineteen. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Anyway, McCabe is not uh, not who you want out there in overtime. Not the guy. Think. So Matthews right now leads the NHL in goals per game. Besser has one more goal than he does, but he's played three more games. So Matthews is at point seven three. Which is which is pretty good. I mean, this can be another. He's got to be the favorite for the Rocket. Oh yeah. Um, so he's on pace for sixty right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so the the his competition right now, uh, Besser, Reinhardt, who's on like a crazy shooting percentage bender, uh, Panarin, Kucherov's had an amazing start to the year, uh, Kyle Connor. Sidney Crosby is up there. Yeah. Sidney Crosby's like right. That's that's pretty impressive. At, I mean uh, I was gonna say, James, very, like it's not age. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. It's uh it's not like he's like shooting the sorry, can I make this expletive? The shit out of the puck. Like he's shooting seventeen point four percent, which is like about what he shoots most seasons. Like I think he shot around who, that. Who uh, are we talking about, Jonas? Matthews. Like it's not like this is yeah. some he just has scored in bunches. He's not scored consistently, and he's not been the two-way force that he's been in the past. Um, let's move on to... How many more do I have here? Oh, i got a couple more. I'm happy with this game. Is this real? Oh, yeah. Joseph Wall uh, looking like a starter. I, I think it's gone a little bit like over the top. Like, I mean... I guess it's just based on expectations. Like if you, if I had told you coming to the year that after 14 games, he would have a nine fifteen save percentage, you'd be like, that's pretty good. And I agree. It is pretty good. Um, so is this real with Joseph wall looking like they're number one, like he has the job right now. Well, what are you going to say? Quasi real? Is that what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has given up uh, to be fair. Like if you look at it a lot, a lot of the number, like he's been amazing, obviously in, in overtime, he's been very good when they've been shorthanded, but he's still giving up three goals basically every game. Like, it's not like it's been like, but it's again, expectations and the other guy just hasn't been good. So I, I would say well, quasi real and I still need to see a lot more. Have, have you looked at like league wide save percentages down across the league? I think the average right now is nine Oh four. It's the wow. lowest it's been in like 25 years. It was actually the so, same last year, James. By the way, say over league save percentage. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. But um, let me just interrupt. To your point, in 2015-16, it was 915 
since then. 913, 912, 910, 910, 908, 907, 904, 904. 904 is like we're getting into we're not in the 80s territory yet where we're, you're down in the 800s but we're in like the mid 90s territory now with the so if 904 is league average and joseph wool is at 915 that's that's pretty good yes um and among goalies that have started he started 12 games the number of goalies that have started 12 games that are ahead of him it's not a very long list. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's eight goalies ahead of him that have played as many games as he has that have a better save percentage. Um, Aiden Hill right now leads the league in save percentage, which is Connor Ingram's up there, my uh, former Kamloops Blazer, leading the Arizona Coyotes to glory with a 930 save percentage. Um, I, I think Joseph Wool is legitimately an nhl goaltender um he's got the pedigree he's very calm and composed in the net i like his stylistically he's um he's 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 a big man and he's very very positionally sound and i mean if we're going to talk about good contracts bad contracts that contract that they signed him to the three years at I think he makes below league minimum right now. I don't, he might need a new agent. Like I, I don't, I'm not really sure he well, should have never sign that, that deal. Yeah. But he's, I think he signed that when like he wasn't remember until last year, even his minor league numbers were not good. Like he was an, a sub 900 goalie. Um, yeah. I'll look when he signed and, yeah. That, you have to be careful with goalies though. Young goalies reading too much into like their AHL save percentage. You know, because there's been lots of guys that don't like the AHL on fire and then have a good NHL career. So um, he actually did sign that in February of 2022 when, yeah, I mean, he had come up during that season and played pretty well for the Leafs. But, uh, I mean, he was just okay for the Marlies that year, 907. But, yeah, to your point. It's interesting to commit to three-year deal, though. Like, I mean. Yeah, especially for it's, that money. Yeah. We're dealing with like he's only like I said he's only started twelve games, so there's still miles to go before. But you know he's clearly their number one right now already, and we're it's you know early December. Um, I, they haven't signed for one more year at that number, right? I, I think he's got one more. I mean, like if he's your number one and he's making seven hundred and sixty k, that that's a pretty nice little. Uh, You're happy. That's a pretty nice parting gift that the previous management team left you. And then on the flip side, I mean, Samsonov's at Samsonov is second last among goalies with ten plus appearances. Only Anti Ranta is worse than Samsonov right now. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how much they ride Wall. And I think they need to be careful not to not to overplay him. Um, for one, you you'd like Samsonov to at least get some chances to get his game back together. Um, but for another, you don't want to, if you don't want to wear down wall and because then where are you going to be if he, if he gets hurt or if he's just, just playing too much. So they're gonna have to find a balance between absolutely play wall more games than uh, Samsonov, but don't go overboard with it. 
Well, to that point, I would think, and we're again, we're recording this on Tuesday. They're going to practice today, practice on Wednesday, and then they play Ottawa on Thursday. I would think Wall starts on Thursday against Ottawa, and then I would think Samsonov starts, assuming he's healthy, like he's been out sick. Uh, I would assume he starts Saturday against Nashville, and then they have a back-to-back in New York, so they'll split those. So yeah, I, I, I think that's a fair point. Like You've got to find a way for Samsonov to get something like going consistently like he just can't string together more than one solid start in a row the only thing let me let me ask you this the only thing with wall that that i think like i'm a little like not sure what to make of it if you look at five on five it's basically like even like he's basically even in terms of a goal saved above expected Mm -hmm. so like he's been fine like he's been better than you could hope for a guy who had no experience basically coming into the year. And if he doesn't perform like this, they are effed. Like, I don't know where they would be right now if, if he was just sinking. Like, if he was like Garrett Sparks that one year where it's just like, oh my God. So he has been as good as you could hope if you're the Leafs. Um, let's take a break. Uh, and then I got, um, where I got one more question in my game and then we'll talk some trade stuff. Uh, I want to talk to you about the top pair um, and what's been going on of late there. Maybe a little bit of John Tavares. Uh, Let's take a break and get to that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Final question in the game. Is this real? What's your favorite game show, by the way? Do you have one? Um, good question. Good question. You know what? I kind of like, like like Family Feud. I'm yeah, kinda, I'm, I, pretty good. I, I kind of like that one. Yeah. Um, I don't mind like Jeopardy and I don't watch a lot of game shows anymore. I, I, I did it like when I was in like college, but it's been a long time since I've been. Um, yeah. Do you Do watch you know, any? I don't really, but you know what they've done that I really like is they've, I don't know when they did this, but they started playing prices right at night so sometimes when it's like i don't like watching commercials so anytime like there's like a break in like a game i'm watching or something i see oh sh- price is right is on at night and i'm like i like prices right i always like when you're a kid that's what you watch during the day your prices right when, yeah when uh when when i had the kids and they were babies and i like took some time off to be home with them i remember watching prices right with like with my son and daughter when they were little and they kind of like the when they're babies, kind of like the noise and the yeah, <laughs> the wheel things. spinning, yeah. And Plank you're just though? like running, you're running every day on like five hours sleep, and you're like having coffee, and you're like, oh my god, like you, you. Some days you are tough and you hate your life, and you just put on prices right, and everything uh, 
Everything's okay. Everything feels okay. Everything feels okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, final question in our game. I guess I am Drew Carey in this situation. Uh, Max Domi is their third line center. Is this real or is this going to go bust at some point? You know what's interesting is like, look at like, I don't think Keith thinks it's real. Like he's, he, does he doesn't not. really, he doesn't, he doesn't like play him very much. Like I was really surprised, you know, how many minutes did he play in the Boston game? Like his, he doesn't play a lot, a lot of times. Yeah. So uh, Domi's Domi. averaging at even strength. He's averaging about 11 minutes a game. Um, obviously he's not playing penalty kill. He's on second power play unit. So he's like, he's not he's pretty, almost pretty close to fourth line minutes. Yes. Really? Well, and James, to, to interrupt you, if you look at how they started that game, that was the fourth line he started with. Like he got to that line fourth, which like sometimes doesn't matter. But if you look at the actual line by line numbers, Robertson, Yarncroft, Robertson, or Yar- Robertson, Yarncroft, Domi played about as much as the two different fourth line combinations. Like if you add them together, Yarncroft and Reeves basically on the right side of Gregor and Camp, they're basically being played like a fourth line some nights and they were getting destroyed before they scored that goal. And then things mm-hmm. really turned for the line once they scored that goal. And that's a huge goal. But I was thinking of, of something you said on one of our podcasts where it's like, can that line give more than it gives up? And it's like very much like an open question. And to your point, every time Keith has been asked about it, I think people have hammered on this little part that he says, everything snapped into place. Once we put Domi at third line center, what they're missing is everything else he says, which is like defensively, it's been not good a lot of times. And like, he doesn't seem like he thinks that this is actually sustainable for the long term. So like on ice save percentage with Domi on the ice is really high. Like they're getting a lot of saves, but they're giving up. If, if you look at, I don't know what stat we want to use. If you look at, like high danger chances against there's few players that are giving up as, I mean, Klingberg was giving up more, but camp is giving up more high danger chances per minute when he's out there. Uh, but Domi's right near the top of the team in terms of the amount of scoring chances are giving up per minute when he's out there. And, you know, so they're on the they're on the plus side in terms of goals for goals against, which is great. Like I think the eye test with that line looks okay, but the the underlying numbers are are really concerning. How yeah. much they're giving up? I just don't believe in a playoff series against a good team. That's that's viable, right? I, I, I just yeah. don't, and I don't think Sheldon Keith thinks it is, and that, that raises like a really interesting question. Like we're going to talk in a in a second here about the defense. It's like how the how do you get someone who can play in the middle of that third line? Like you can't fix everything. They might just get to a point where the playoffs come around and they basically just use those third and fourth lines the same. Like they just bury camp. Like that's one of the interesting developments actually, James, in that game against Boston, Matthews line for Matthews lined up for 12 offensive zone faceoffs and only one in the defensive zone. And part of that was because he just started stuffing camp into the defensive zone all the, as much as he could. Often mm-hmm. not without, often without Ryan Reeves, like he would put Yarncroft mm-hmm. there, and that makes yep. like you could see that happening in a playoff series, right? But like again, I don't know if it's, I don't know if you can do it. I don't know if you can have Domi play on a third line. Maybe you could, maybe you just split it up. What do you think? I mean, like I said, the minutes are so low that like it's pretty close to being a fourth line, right? Like it's almost like 
two fourth lines and like two it's like you have two number one lines and two fourth lines kind of yeah sort of um yeah i mean camp you don't necessarily on a team you don't need to number the lines and play you don't have to play the first line 18 minutes and then the second line 15 minutes and the third line 13 and like that's that's not really what's happening and like you said the fourth line's been turned into kind of a blender where and Yarncroc is like the Swiss army knife, Swedish army knife yeah, that nice. um, is moved around the lineup. Um, like Kampf is playing about 10 minutes a game at even strength at five on five and Domi's playing 11. So that's not much of a difference. Well, and let me give you a comparison. So you go back to the 2022 playoffs and I'm just looking at some of the line combinations they rolled out. And basically by the end of it, they had, I mean, it's not totally real, but remember they had Neander, Engvall, uh, camp as as like a kind of third line like Neander would basically just move up to play with Tavares almost immediately and then the fourth line was Kasha Blackwell Spezza so you could kind of see a scenario where that's like Robertson Yarncock Domi is like that line basically and then you have camp whoever well, whoever I don't know we're talking a lot about Domi uh, as the center but I mean part of the reason why that line struggles is that Robertson is kind of yeah, all over the place in in what he's giving them, and I don't you know. know, know we yeah, go ahead. We've sorry. been pretty positive about his season on this show, but I don't know that we've. I think maybe we've been too positive because um, the last few games you can really see the the warts coming through in a big way with with Robertson. I my early read is I do not think Sheldon Keith trusts Robertson, and I mean I he's a rookie. Why that happens and like he, yeah i mean he's not it's not just that he's a rookie i mean matthew nice is a rookie he trusts him more defensively it's just been like mm. well i mean nice makes mistakes too but he does but robertson i don't know like what i was seeing the first few games i'm not seeing as much of it um robertson's like like the hockey iq and the defensive play and like where he's got to be is it's probably going to be the dividing line for him whether he's an nhl player or not and some games it looks okay and lately it's he's been losing it a little bit so you know and there's i i've seen lots of people talking about and i know we're going to talk about soon like trade rumors and that stuff but i've seen people like oh you know Ned robertson can be like trade bait it's like I, I still don't think he has any trade value i don't think anyone wants him it's like it reminds me of back in the day when everyone was like oh just you can trade jeremy bracco and a second round pick and get a top pair defenseman and it's like you know, you're not going to get a lot for Robertson if you're trading him. So, you know, unless there's some team that's like not very bright that, that's going to want him. I mean, he's playing like 10 minutes a game. Um, he's he's the shot is there, and but you know he's he he's small, and if he's making a lot of mistakes defensively and not a good skater, I, I just don't see how other teams are going to be excited about taking him in a in a trade. I think if you're like a, a a rebuilding but not great team, I think in a trade you might be like, we'll take, well, we want him too. You know what I mean? Like, we want him in yeah. addition, like because he's like as a project. There's nothing wrong with him. He's still he's 22. But to your point, ten and a half minutes this year, ten fifty three last year, ten sixteen the year before that, nine twenty six the year before that. Now, granted, he didn't play a lot of games in any of those years. But it tells you his fourth line minutes though. Like that's right, like exactly. It tells you the coach doesn't trust him. Like he doesn't want to play him more. Like if he wanted to play him more, he would be playing more. I mean, he's not on the power play, which is partly a function of who they have. Um, maybe he goes to a worse team and I mean, not 
maybe if he goes to a worse team, he's on the power play, but he's not even on the power play. Um, so yeah. Uh, anything else you want to add about our, is this real? Uh, is this segment real? Yeah, it's great. All right. Uh, <laughs> so we know the Leafs are trying to upgrade their defense. I'm going to say upgrade slash change their defense because it's, you could make a case that some of it is just like altering the, basically the size of the defense. Um, and so we saw a report over the weekend from Elliot Friedman that they tried to get Tanev and Zadorov, which is not really surprising. I mean, I wrote about that after the Calgary game that maybe you try to get two. I think it was something you brought up. Um, it's been bandied about. It's not surprising. But what do you make of their attempts and ultimately failure to get both Zadorov and Tanev? They could still get Tanev, but yeah. obviously Zadorov's off the table now. And I think they probably will. I mean, my you look at the landscape for, and I know you're working on a story about like other defensemen they could look at, and I don't know how much you want to get into that on the show here and, and spoil your story, but I think you should you should probably throw a hint of that into this conversation, but it feels like, you know, Tan is a local guy, doesn't have a big contract, UFA, Calgary's in full sell mode, right, right side. It feels like they're going to get him, but you know, the, the conversations right now between tree living and Craig Conroy, the, the flames GM are, you know, they, they got, they got held, held up on, uh, on the salary retention piece of it and, and what that was worth and how much they had to give up, you know, let, I mean, so I, I still think that that's going to be the number one option and that that's going to happen. And the thing with the salary retention is it gets easier to make that happen later in the year because you're asking Calgary to eat less money. So the more games that the Leafs can survive with the blue line that they've got now, um, you know, I saw Lilgren was on the ice of practice. Do you have a uh, Do you have an idea what the time frame is for him? Uh, to come he's back? he's not close. Yeah, not so close. it's probably but like a month. Uh, it's probably at least a few weeks. I mean, we're this is December five right now, and he's not even like close to practicing. We, so, right, we were we were thinking uh, when he originally got hurt, the timeline was like January, right? Sometime. So, um, anyway. If what let me finish my thought. If they can survive with the blue line they've got now and and play well enough to win games, maybe they can hold off making that trade until closer to the deadline and the cost isn't as prohibitive. Um, because you're not asking Calgary to retain such a big piece of such a big chunk of money. Well, let me ask you this, because this is one of the the roadblocks that I've kind of run up against in, in looking at different players that they could conceivably go get. I don't know how they can get two in a lot of these situations. Like obviously there's some defensemen you can find who don't make a lot of money. That's more viable, but it feels like getting two is going to be tricky. Tell me why I might not be right about that. I think they can make it work cap wise. If that's what you mean, or that's do you what mean, I mean like, no, that's what I mean. I mean, they would have been able to fit Zadorov and Tanov in if you have 50% retention on both. Uh, yes. Zadorov makes what's he at 375 I think is his cap hit. Yeah. And Tanev's 4.5 so it's, you know, 8 million and 8825. So if they retain half it's 4.15 which is or what Klingberg makes. It's it's a little under 4. It's a little less than what Klingberg makes. So that's that math is pretty clean, Jonas. Okay, but so now let's say the second guy you're you're wanting is not making 3.75. He's making a little bit more. 
Then what? Okay. I mean, then I did. You need to send salary. You, you wave. You wave Timmons. Yeah, yeah. Or you could you could put. You you could wave Reeves and Timmons, and one point. I think it's one point one five of their salaries goes down. You can make it work. Like I, part of why the Leafs were trying for the retention and where the deal got hung up is, you know, like they could they could bring in Tanev without retention. Like they could find a way to stuff four and a half million in with with Klingberg being out on LTIR. But if they want to add more than just one guy. That's what I saw, I saw some people saying. Well, why didn't they just do the Zadorov deal? Don't worry about the retention. Just give up the, you know, Vancouver only gave up a third and a fifth round pick. But if they did that, if they bring in Zadorov with no retention, that's the only that's all their cap space would just be on Zadorov, who's in an ideal situation is probably your number five defenseman. And what you're talking about is they need more than just like one number five defenseman. They they need some guys that can play higher in the lineup. Now. The question is, if they just add Tanev, is it enough? No. You know, I mean, you're probably going Riley, Tanev, uh, McCabe, Brody, uh, McCabe, Brody, or Jared. Brody Lilgren, maybe. You maybe. could play. You could play Brody on the left side. They've not done that um, much, but yeah, that's an option. <clears throat> I'm just thinking, if you want to move McCabe down and McCabe Giordano on, or, or Legison or Benoit, that's not that's better than what they got right now. Um, for sure, it it really sucks that Lilgren had the injury he did because he was playing so well and like was such an important like it, it was going to be and it, I with the injury that he's got that uh, high ankle sprain that can be one that just lingers and fucks you up for a long time. Well, I, part of why I asked James is because some of the defensemen that I I identify and this is not this is just me looking at around the league at, at possible throw, fits. Throw me some name. I think we should throw no, some names out there. I, I, I want to save the names. I don't want to say, but, no, I, but they, let's, no. let's, let's give, let's give our loyal pod. Well, let's give them one name. Okay. Let me pull up my list. But part of the, the issue is, is like some of these guys have term on their contracts. Like that would, mm. I, I don't think if, if I were them, I would not just be trying to get players who are UFAs. Like one guy I, I think is interesting. And I, I don't totally think he'd be available at least yet. And again, he, this guy doesn't actually make. Well, let me give you a guy who makes more than this this other guy, Zub on on the Senators, right shot mm. defenseman. He is signed for three more seasons after this one at four. Well, why would they trade him though? Well, that's that's he that's he's in the category that I have of why would they trade him? Thank you, James. You didn't even know that. Um, but but so real he, or not real? I'm saying not real. Right, but but so like if you're going to sign trade for a guy who has term on his contract and also makes a lot, that team is not going to retain for two or three years. I wouldn't well, think. Which is why they probably aren't going to do it. <laughs> well, so then, but then you're limiting your pool. And also, James, I think part of this, like if, if I'm them, they're going to have a need beyond this season. So if you're going to trade, this was always like... The well, I mean, that's the other thing you like. That's the other thing you like about Tanev is that he's a local guy and you can probably resign him and you can probably resign him for cheaper than what he makes right now. Theoretically, yes. I mean, that's that's part of the the argument I think with with training for Hannafin is like you're going to need a defenseman next next summer. Yeah, it's not this summer because we're still in 2023. But you're gonna I mean, need- I'm on the record that I would try and get Hannafin, and you know he's his cap hit's not that big right now. You get him on a double uh, on a retention, and then well, let me ask you this: so some of the the free agent defensemen available next summer, theoretically, because these guys can still be resigned. You got like guys like Brett Pesci. 
Gustav Forsling, Brandon Montour, Brady Shea. Do you like any of those guys more than Hannafin? Like he's younger, I think, than most. Yeah, but them. why is Carolina trading a defenseman to like no, no, an no, Eastern no, no. Conference I'm, rival? No, 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 you're missing. You're just saying in free agency. I'm saying, yeah, if you get to free agency and those guys are available, you, you're going to have to, you're going to want to try to get someone. So mm-hmm. if you're going to, you know what I mean? Like if you're going to go to free agency and just sign one of those guys, would you rather just get Hannafin now, sign him now? If, if theoretically he would be your number one target next time. Honestly, I don't mind. Like I, I, I like Forsling when I watch Florida, uh, yeah. Pesci's been hurt a lot this year. Um, I don't even know how many games he's played. Carolina's weird. Cause they've got like seven NHL defensemen and like it's crazy James. They barely, they play I know like it's, I mean, maybe Carolina would trade a defenseman to fix something else. I just, I don't know. Like it feels like they have too many defensemen, which is weird, too many defensemen. And then they're having huge problems in goal. Um, you know, get well, get well soon, Freddie Anderson, with what he's dealing with. Um, let me, uh, let me just counter all of this, Jonas, and just say, let's assume they get Tanev at fifty percent retention, and they've got another couple million to play with. You know, we talked earlier in the show about the third line and Domi. Shouldn't they look to address that need? Like, do, I kind of like, like if you can bring in another center who can play in your top nine and you get 10 of, I feel like that, that makes sense. I understand what you're saying. You want to add two defensemen, but it might not be realistic with just like the class of defensemen that are out there and available right now. Well, what if you went even bigger and you said, why don't we try to trade for Tanev and Elias Lindholm who makes five and a half and is a pending of fate. Now that's going to cost I mean, you a lot to trade for them. I love Lind- I love Lindholm. He's, he's an amazing player. Um, yeah, Tanner. Now, now let me ask home. you. I mean, I if like I it. was if I was Craig Conroy, I would say, you know what? Starting point of that deal, I want Matthew Nice. No not even negotiating point. If you I want both Leafs, those guys. Leafs right? aren't gonna do that. Okay. They're not well, gonna do that. So what do you have to trade, I guess, if it was and I don't think Lindholm wants to sign in Toronto. Like, I mean, he's not gonna have a choice. I don't know if he has a no trade or not, but he's not gonna have a choice. Um if he if he gets traded to Toronto, but I don't think he's going to want to sign there, and so they would be pure rental if you're bringing in Lindholm. But great player, great great player, like you know, he's pretty close to like a top line center, let alone a third line center. Well, and then all your issues that we've been talking about go away. You have a center who can play at both ends. You can protect John Tavares a little bit more. You, everything would just fall into place. But yeah, that's difficult. Well, uh, yeah. What about what about Sean Walker? That's a he's playing for the Flyers right now. He's playing twenty one minutes a night. Um, he does he not fell out of favor in L.A. last year. He I mean, he's not he's not not big. The, yes, he does not fit yeah. the Bradtree living mold. I don't think I can't see them wanting to bring in another five foot eleven, one hundred ninety one pound defenseman. And he's more his ability is more kind of offense, which they can use. I mean, they don't have great puck movers or i mean obviously Lilligram being out does not helped i think part of my concern is if you don't get tanev like i feel like if you don't get tanev who you're yeah. going to be left with you're going to be left with like some backup options like walker where it's kind of like small not exactly what they need if you're calgary right now like i think the play for calgary would be just like wait because Toronto's going to have to get Tanev, right? Like, I mean, if they raise the asking price on him, I don't know that the Leafs have that many more other options. 
What would you pay for Tanev? Second? I mean, third? Ide- yeah, ideally like a second round pick, yeah. But I don't I mean maybe maybe it's I don't I don't know. It's it's hard with these rentals like third round pick in Robertson or something. I don't I don't know. I was surprised uh, the dwarf was was so low. Like I don't know why why didn't Calgary just wait until the price came up? Like I thought I thought some team was going to pay more for Zadorov just because of the size factor and all that. Yeah, I mean, he did obviously request a trade first time GM, I don't know. Let's uh let's take a break um and then a couple more things to dive into before we go. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right. Uh, we talk about the defense and some of the trade possibilities. One of the things that I've been noticing, James, over the last little bit is the top pair of Morgan Riley and TJ Brody. And this is something you pointed out, I think, on our last pod- podcast when we were talking about award or not awards, report cards. Um, I just think we've seen a dip from Riley and Brody. And to me, it's like pretty clear why they're they're playing them a ton. I get why they're playing them a ton. Is there any like concern with that? Is there any concern specifically maybe with Brody, who's 33 and like showed signs yeah. of real wear in the playoffs? Like, does that concern you? Yeah. I mean, five on five ice time for the season. Number one's Riley. Number two is Brody. Um, Riley's been great. Like, on, I don't have... I, I haven't dipped a little bit of late, but yeah, he's had a yeah. very, very good season for sure. He's had a, he's had one of his best seasons, you know, and he's been so much attention on Nylander, but like you can, I think you can make the case that Riley for MVP of the team, you know, especially, you know, Nylander has a, some quieter games of late. Um, but certainly Brody doesn't look like the player he was two years ago. Um, and they have no choice but just to lean on him a lot because they don't i mean we've been we've been through the lineup they don't have a lot of other people they can trust uh, especially not against other teams top lines so 
And again, that's why you need you need someone that can come. Like the thing about Tanev is he can come in and he can play against other teams' best players, and he yeah. can play with Riley. He can mm-hmm. play in the top pair. Um, and Tanev's not going to win the Norris, but he's just he's going to help you lock it down. And then that allows you to play Brody on a second pair, and I think he's going to look a lot better on a second pair than playing against other teams' top lines and playing as many minutes as he is right now. Yeah, I guess one concern with that. James would be, I mean, with, I guess, adding Tanev broadly is suddenly your defense is like really old with the exception of like Riley is not old, obviously, but like, you'd have 33 year old Brody 30, I think Tanev's going to be 34 soon. Yeah. Um, yep. McCabe is 30. Mark Giordano, like one of the things that I would be trying to well, do. You have an old team, Jonas. Like it's not like they're yeah. one of the five oldest teams in the league. Yeah, I, I guess I was going to say like one of the things I would be trying to do, and I don't know if it's possible, is find a way that you don't necessarily have to play G- Mark Giordano when the playoffs come around. Because like, I mean, we saw how it went last year. They've not. Re- I mean, he's going to be he's going to miss a ton of games here. Um, but we saw we we see sometimes when older defensemen, a or my, I mean, just older players, it can just shut off like that, like where they're just not effective. And we saw that last year. We've also seen when a player like that of that age group misses time, it can be really difficult to start again. Mm-hmm. Remember when Jason Spezza, I think he got suspended and he came back afterward. Well, he was just not the same player. And Joe Jason Thornton had happened too, right? Joe yeah. Thornton missed time. And then it was just like, this guy can't play anymore. Yeah. So that would be a concern for me, but like you can't fix every problem really. I have liked, I think Giordano's like, he, he's given them absolutely everything he has every night. Like he's, he's the guy's, he's a warrior, you know, it's too bad. He wasn't a leaf earlier in his career. Cause what a fantastic player he is in career that he's had. And I think if he's playing 12 minutes a night for you in the playoffs, I think it's okay. I think you can live with that. If it's what we saw last year, that is not true. <laughs> I mean, it just it's true. They literally couldn't but, play. Like it looked like the game was just but, too fast for him. If if they get healthy and, and they add, let's say Tanev, mm-hmm. they don't need to play him, right? Like they can play Benoit or Legison or like Giordano can be your number seven. Yeah, I mean, I don't love those guys that much. I don't love those guys more, but yeah. Well, you don't. Yeah, you like, don't I mean, like realistically, Jonas, they're not going to add a third line center and two defensemen. Yeah. You know, like it's just it's not going to happen. Yeah, I mean, you know what's yeah. interesting that I haven't seen anyone talk about, but if like if the cap is the issue, there's there's one player that I they could think about moving to free up cap room. You know who it would be? Hmm. Who I don't think anyone has ever talked about or thought about. There's one player I I feel like. Well, might they might be able to move? I have two options. Okay. Is one Samsonov? Yes. Yeah, the other yes. I don't think you could if trade him. If continues to be bad, I think that could be a cap dump. And I mean, you'd need to get some sort of veteran goalie back. But there's a, there's a bunch of teams carrying three goalies. Like I think you could get a cheap backup. You know, and I'm talking about if we get to February and Wall is still playing well and Samsonov's not playing well. Samsonov's making three five five. If you need the cap space in order to bring other players in, he would be someone I would be thinking about punting. Uh, yeah, as, uh, as Puncher producer points out, they do have Martin Jones. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Punch, have you seen what Martin have you seen yeah. what Martin Jones's numbers are in the AHL right now? You said AHL numbers. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, for young, for I said for young goalies. I know. You gotta go, go back and listen to the show. All right, uh, we have time for one question because I got to run to practice. Uh, do you have a good one that one you want to? Question. Yeah, oh, sorry. I got to choose between. You know, I'm maybe. gonna be late. No, oh, it's funny. There's a there's a message from Jiggly Pig. Jiggly Pig says, "Would the Leafs consider trading Samsonov and making Jones the backup to clear cap space? Seems far fetched, but who knows." Good work, Jiggly Pig. We're on the same. Uh, me and Jiggly Pig are just uh, have the same uh, wavelength. Um, okay, let's. Uh, that's not the real question. The real question is: Mark says, "Your thoughts on Sheldon's OT strategy of running Matthews, Marner, Nylander into the ground? Often it looks like they don't have legs in OT. Without Joseph Wool's heroics, we probably would have fewer points. If you look at overtime ice time, Matthews, Nylander, Marner." Uh, 21 minutes, 18 minutes, 17 minutes for those three. And then the other forwards are like Tavares is next at seven minutes. Camp is Camp is fifth among forwards in overtime ice time with five minutes this year. Um, that does not seem sustainable to play the big guys so much. And they do look gassed out there for sure. Thoughts? Yeah. I mean, there have been some games where, where Tavares doesn't play at all in overtime. Like he, he basically is just rotating those guys that you talked about um i don't like starting camp like i do not like go potentially going the entire overtime or not the entire overtime but i i don't i wouldn't like risking not getting matthews on the ice in overtime like the best shooter in the world like that doesn't make a lot of sense to me you know what i'm saying like when you start camp and there have been a lot of situations they start camp and let's say marner and a defenseman whether it's brody whether it's mccabe riley whoever and they get hemmed in right away and they almost get scored on. And it's like, you're going to risk that just so Matthews doesn't get on the ice. It's not like Matthews is a bad defender. He's a very good defender. Um, so I do not get that. I also, one thing that like a tiny curiosity that like they don't play nice at all in overtime and they don't play Bertuzzi. They don't play, they don't play guys that they don't trust clear. Like that is basically it. Um, yeah, Domi's played four thirty nine in overtime. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, like it's it's no, basically just a little bit. They just rotate them. I mean, I don't, I don't really care that much about overtime. But I mean, the points matter. So the other tough thing for them in overtime is they don't. Other than Riley, they don't have the blue line to like, yeah, to play the way that three on three is played. That's where Lilligren would help. Yep. Um, Come so. back, Timmy. Yeah, and to that point, like Riley's played more than double the next defenseman in overtime. Uh, all right. That's unfortunately all the time we have. James, it has been a pleasure. Next week, I go to New York. The Leafs go to New York. So that should be fun. Uh, that's it. That's all I have. We'll talk uh, next hey. week. Thanks for listening, everyone. It was been, uh, it's been a blast. And I would say, real or unreal, I would say this show was very real. Nice, James. Nice. <laughs>